Amen. Thank you again so much, Brother Tim. Thank you to our celebration band. Of course, we had Melissa and Becca filling in today. But can I just take just a second to single out two people that we never really, you know, it's not good to single out people, right? Okay. I'm sorry, Miss Elaine. I singled you out a while ago. Hope that was all right. I just love to single out these two guys right here. Stan Hurst, Ed Pickett. You know, they are some faithful servants. Amen? Well, I mean, if, if there is anything musically that we need, I don't hesitate. I know I can call either one of those guys, and boy, they are so willing to do it. And I just want to say thank you. Guys, y'all are wonderful, and I really appreciate your service to the Lord here in our church. Oh, my goodness. It is so exciting, so honoring, so humbling to be able to preach God's Word today. Again, my heart, every opportunity that I have, uh, again, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, singularizing, for what I proclaim is not myself, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with myself as your servant, for Jesus' sake. That, that's my prayer each and every time, and that's certainly my prayer today. So if any of you um, are continuing to listen to Tea Time with Tommy, uh, which is my podcast that comes out on Wednesdays, if you didn't know that, I It'd be wonderful if you uh, tuned into that. We've got uh, three podcasts going strong right now. We have a fourth podcast that uh, we're kind of taking a break now that we've opened back up everything. Uh, we've got to get everything back, get the trains on the track, chugging, chugging along before we can uh, get back to looking at uh, the Baptist faith and message. But we do have uh, three different podcasts uh, that uh, I think you see a slide for it each week. So I would encourage you to listen to those. But, but if you're listening to Tea Time with Tommy, and I, when I tell you what our text is today, you're going to say, oh, well, I've heard that already. Uh, because interestingly enough, uh, my, my passage that we're going to preach from today was also uh, what I spoke about uh, encouraging uh, from tea time with Tommy this past week. But don't worry, it's totally different. It, it, it's totally different. When life is a mess, God is still at his best. Oh, y'all must not have heard me. When life is a mess, God is still at His best. That's our sermon title today. And it's going to be found in Esther chapter 4. Now, I, we were gone this past week. Oh my goodness, what a wonderful time we had at the Celebrators Conference uh, through Phil Waldrop Ministries. It was such a blessing. Uh, but in the midst of that, I was praying over and preparing and uh, asking God would he have me preach, and I started working on Esther chapter 4, and I, the more and more I was working on it, the more and more I got to thinking, I'm 46 years young, and I'm a preacher's kid, so in all of those 46 years, I probably hadn't missed 20 Sundays combined in 46 years, and I really got to thinking, I don't know that I have ever once on a Sunday morning heard a sermon from Esther. Has anyone, can anyone recall hearing a sermon from Esther? Dr. Cox, we should have known. Miss Brenda Calloway, over in Georgia, they preach on Esther, don't they? Amen. But you know, I was, and then I thought, well, Lord, I don't think I need to be the one that's going to preach out of Esther. <laughs> Made me a little nervous of getting in the midst of my preparation, but I'm just so excited. One of my favorite books of the Bible is Esther, and that's just where God, he wouldn't let me get away from it. He wouldn't let me get away from it. Life is a mess. I don't think any of you here would disagree with that. 
whether it be personally, whether it be what's going on in our everyday life, what's going on in the world around us, or all those things put together, life is a mess. What is becoming a seemingly religious minority living in a culture that really doesn't care, that has such differing views in almost everything that matters, how do we relate to that? Do we just close the door and sit in our bubble and, or perhaps stand on the corner with a bullhorn protesting as loud as possible? Do we just sit on our pew and just critique from afar? Or worse yet, do we try to assimilate? Does any of this sound like where we might be? Does any of this sound like the world we're living in? Welcome to the Jewish life in 478 B.C. Life was a mess. The Jews are in grave danger. They've already been taken into captivity. They've already been dispersed. They've been forced into a culture that's dominated by spiritual and moral values that are the farthest thing from their own. There is no more a king there's of theirs. There's no more an army. There's no land. There's no temple. And there are powerful forces that want to destroy them. Now, the Jews have been through all this before. Every time, Yahweh has sent a miraculous sign. He's performed wondrous miracles. Here, though, it, is, it appears that he is even absent from what's going on. There's no vision. There's no dream. There's no prophecy. Oh, but do not be fooled. It is not by accident, but by God's design. As we look at Esther chapter 4, you know what I like to do. I like for you to get a little closer to heaven. If you are able, stand with me as we read God's Word. It's, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 17 verses. It's a lot of words, but it'll only take a moment. Esther chapter 4. If you are unable or don't have your Bible with you, the words will be on the screen. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. And then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. 
And then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, God, the name of Jesus has been exalted today. Lord, it has been lifted up. We have approached your throne. And Lord, I ask right now that you would hide me behind your cross. Lord, that nothing I would say or do, Lord, but that only your voice would be heard. God, that your message would be proclaimed. Thank you for taking and saving this old wretched sinner, God. For calling me to preach your word, Lord, today. Let me be that broken vessel. Let your spirit move, continue to move in this place. God, it is already so evident how present you are. And Lord, I just ask that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, today would be the day. Lord, if there's someone who's here and straight away, God, that today they would come home. Speak to our hearts. We love you. We exalt you. We praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you so much. You may be seated. There are three truths that we can find in this chapter 4 of Esther. Three truths. The first one I think is so evident and yet unevident. God is present. Esther gets a bad rap. Esther's the the book of the Bible that really doesn't belong in the Bible because Esther doesn't talk about God. Have you ever heard that about Esther? You know, I think Beth Moore did a wonderful study on Esther uh, uh, for, for the ladies group, but, I, you know, my wife was facilitating it, so I did Esther too. And, I, you know, it was wonderful. And, and that's the bad rap that Esther gets. Well, Esther doesn't really talk about God. Oh, God is present in Esther. God is present right here. Amen? He's not named specifically or even mentioned specifically, but God is most assuredly present. Let me point this out to you. In verse uh, 1, it says, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the midst of the city, crying with a loud and bitter voice. Now, the tearing of one's clothes is an ancient tradition among the Jews associated with mourning, grief, loss. Mordecai was letting it be known, I'm a Jew, 
I'm oppressed. I'm suffering. I'm distraught. I'm in despair because of the imminent demise of my people. And it referenced Haman's plot. Okay, so that, that's chapter 3 of Esther reveals Haman's plot. And he's got it worked out to where every Jew is going to be killed. He's even got the date that it's going to happen. So that's what Mordecai is saying right here. It goes on to say that the sackcloth and ashes. Well, let's talk about those for just for a second. Putting on sackcloth and ash were used in the Old Testament as a symbol of debasement, mourning, and repentance. Sackcloth and ash were used as an outward sign of one's inward condition. Okay, so we got Mordecai in verse 1 and 2 that's, that's doing this. And then later on in that very uh, same section, we've got in verse 3, great mourning among the Jews with weeping and wailing and many laying in sackcloth and ash. Well, I got a question. If we know that the sackcloth and ash are a form of repentance in the Old Testament, who were they talking to? They were talking to God. They were talking to Yahweh. Do you know why? Because God is present. And they knew that. They didn't have to call out His name to know He's present. God is present. Who needed to see that inward condition outwardly? Well, they wanted the people to know we're calling out to Yahweh. Yahweh. It's not stated, but it is certainly understood that the grieving was of an imminent death to Jews everywhere. Mordecai was also painfully aware that God had already laid out a destiny of his seed and that was being put into danger because he knew that God had promised to protect, preserve, and prosper that seed. So for Mordecai, his hope was in jeopardy. And what do we do when our hope is in jeopardy? We go to God. And we know that because God is present. You know that he is there. Now, let me ask you this. When you look at, if there was a plague, or we might call it a pandemic, God's present. You know God's present. Well, what about uh, when fire came down from heaven Sucked up the offering and all the water. God did that. Yeah, he did. God's present. He did that. Well, now, when you read Esther and you think, Mordecai's learned that Haman has plotted to kill every Jew on this specific day. The Jews will be annihilated. You don't just sit back and say, wow, God's right in the middle of that. But he is. God is present always in every circumstance in every situation in the middle of all the mess God is still at his best and the only way to be that way is to be present I'm going to give you two examples of when God's people cried out and he heard them Exodus chapter 2 verse 23, 24 and 25 they're on the screen Jot it down if you want to, to look at later. Exodus 2. Now it happened in the process of time 
that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of that bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children and acknowledged them. God's present. When we call out to him, he hears. God's silence in the midst of Esther is not his absence. God's silence in the midst of Esther is not him being hidden. And the fact that his name is not mentioned certainly does not mean that he is not there. If anything, it points more to him and his providence. God is present. Another example, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Proverbs 15, one more. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. When life's a mess, God is present. Mordecai knew it. The Jews knew it. They didn't have to have a prophet. They didn't have to have a dream for somebody to interpret. They knew that their cries of desperation were heard by Yahweh. God is present. Number two, God has a plan. Amen? Oh my goodness, I get so excited about that. Verse 8, verse 8, He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, 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 however you want to say it, country boy, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. Now, we hear the words of the author here telling us what Mordecai is saying to Esther, this is what you need to do. Okay, but we all know that this is God's plan. The Bible shows us uh, that Israel is the bride of Christ, the Lord himself being her husband. And as that husband, God is so committed to Israel that even in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness to those marital vows, that he will always fulfill his. God is a persistent love. He's a jealous husband. He will not be satisfied until He has won back his bride. Mordecai, from the beginning, knew how important Esther was going to be. In chapter 1, chapter 2 of Esther, you you see where he's going back and forth, walking in front of the gate once she's been sent in with all the other beauty contestants. You see where each day he's walking back and forth in front to make sure that everything is all right. She was the only Jew who even had access to the king. Esther 
was, is God's plan. Esther was not a cheerleader. She was not Mordecai's sidekick. She was a woman addressing the real and horrible reality, the events that Haman had put into motion. We are able to clearly see the character and the courage of God's redemption plan in Esther. His love at work despite the evil of man. God has a plan. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. This is the, his name by which he will be called. Christ, the branch who is called the Lord our righteousness. God has a plan. God had a plan then. He's got a plan now. His plan then. He chose a woman who had everything taken from her. In the Old Testament, he chose a woman. That was part of God's plan. She had everything taken from her. She was an orphan. Think about that for a second now. We're talking about an orphan. An orphan who was taken from even her people. Thankfully, she had Mordecai, but, but in captivity, they were dispersed. They were all over. They were all over. Her freedom was taken away. As we talked about, they were forced into this culture that was completely not theirs. But God took her, and he gave her everything. He made her a queen. He made Esther a queen. The steps that it took to get Esther to be queen. Go listen, take time with Tommy, you'll hear it. He used someone due to her gender, due to her culture, due to her circumstances, who herself was powerless and invisible. But he took her and made her a pivotal heroine of Scripture. God has a plan. He has a redemption plan do you know what his redemption plan's name is for us? Jesus. We sung about it all morning. God is so awesome. You had no idea what I was preaching on. We didn't even know till Monday Brother Tim was getting to lead worship. But he put it all together. His redemptive plan for you and I today is Jesus. He had a plan for his people her name was Esther. God will bring about his plan. Romans 11, 1 and 2, even referring to when Israel again was rejecting God, rejecting Messiah himself, Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not cast away His people whom He foreknew. God has a plan. 
Even after Christ was turned away by his own people, it's all God's plan. If they hadn't turned him away, where would us Gentiles be? Hopeless. Lost. God has a plan. God is present. God has a plan. God is sovereign. Do not think, verse 13, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let me define sovereignty for you, okay? I don't want anybody to not know God's sovereignty. The Lord of all, I think it's on the screen, the Lord of all by an incontestable right as the creator, owner, and possessor of heaven and earth. God is sovereign. Verse 14 again. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. That's where rubber meets the road right there. Old Mordecai said, boom, here it is. We've been out here weeping. We've been crying. We've been calling out. Because God is present. He is hearing us. And we know He has a plan for that seed of David to be fulfilled. And it's going to be. Esther, you can be part of it. Or you cannot. But God's plan of redemption will be fulfilled. What a language of strong faith. He didn't waver in God's promise, even in the midst of danger of the most threatening aspect, but instead against hope, believed in hope. That's some powerful words in Scripture right there. And just think, some people don't even think Esther belongs in the canon. Like crazy. God's sovereignty is so pronounced. Now, Mordecai believed that Esther was given special favor by the king of kings. Or she wouldn't have been in that position to be that vessel. But Mordecai also knew that either way, the plan of God would be fulfilled because God is sovereign. Now, folks, we don't like to talk about God being sovereign. Let's just face it. We don't like to talk about that. We say, amen, God's sovereign. But we don't like to talk about it because it reminds us that we're really not in control. You know, we live in the flesh, and we want to be in control of everything. I struggle with that at home. My wife reminds me of that. Forrest reminds me of that, too, even though I remind him that I'm daddy, so I am in control. But... We struggle with that in the flesh of not being in control. There are things, oh, 
get ready, get ready, this is big. There are things in life that we can't control. Do you know what they are? All of it. All of it. You know, we can't sing, He is Lord, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. We can't sing that if we don't believe in and surrender to the sovereignty of God. Because then it's just words. Everything happens according to God's plan. I just pulled some stuff out of Scripture real quick that reminds us of God's sovereignty. Not a bird falls to the ground apart from our Father's will. The king's heart is like a river in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. When Joseph was sold into Egypt, finally turns around and his brothers are found to be guilty, God says, you meant it for evil, but I meant it for good. Proverbs, the die is cast into the lap, and it's every decision is from the Lord. A man designs his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God is sovereign. A couple of scripture passages, Isaiah 46, 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all the deep places. Life's a mess. If your life is not a mess, please come talk to me afterwards. Tell me what you're doing. It might not, but you're personally in your home, everything might be going great, but you still live in the world. Life's a mess. God is still at his very best because that's all he can be. Esther 4 pushes us to examine our own lives. How is God actively working in our life? Perhaps even maybe he's behind the scenes in the middle of our mess. But his perfect will is going to be accomplished. And his will is always his best. If you look at the last two verses of Esther 4, Verse 16, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. To be a Christian means to trust. To be faithful. In the middle of a mess, the depth 
of our faith sometimes can come into question. The Jews were in a mess. Mordecai had laid it out for her. He had to tell her a couple of times, hey, that's what you need to do right here. First time she's like, well, you know what happened if I do that. Mordecai said, hey, God's will will prevail. You can be a part of it, or you could not. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. You know, I, I, I don't want to take any scriptural license. But for us today, if I perish, I'm going to perish on God's side. He's sovereign. Today's not the end of the story. The powers that be might seem in control, but they're really not. Even the trajectory that it seems inevitable really is not. Because God is very much ever present. God has a plan for complete redemption, whose name is Jesus. And God is sovereign. His will shall overcome. No matter the mess, no matter the horribleness that is life. You know, Sunday school this morning was wonderful. Thank you, Brother John. I wasn't in there, but just for a little bit. But it was wonderful, and, and I just felt like, it was just another confirmation to God this is exactly what we're supposed to be preaching on today because it was talking about what do you do with your daily life? Death is inevitable unless Christ comes again and before us personally pass away. How are we living life? How are we living life? God is at His best in the middle of our mess. He is committed to his plan, his purpose, his love, his mercy, his grace, his protection. God is at his best. The question is, where are we in the depth of our faith? Are we shallow in our faith? Maybe today you don't even know who I'm talking about when I say Jesus. You're lost. You don't have that faith yet. Oh, come on down here in just a minute. Because I know plenty of people that want to talk to you about the love of Jesus. Amen? Esther might not mention God, but the very sound of her name points us to the name of Jesus. Through our omnipresent Lord, God is present. Through our Savior's redemptive plan. God has a plan. Our sovereign Lord. God is sovereign. The King of Kings. Is still today. Tomorrow. And forevermore. At His 
best. What are you doing? Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus. You're in this place. Your spirit has been so evident, God, even before we came this morning. Lord, I thank you for Esther being a part of our canon of Scripture. Lord, I thank you for the lessons that you teach us about your providence, Lord, through a book that might not mention Yahweh, but does everything to point us to you. Lord, you are present in this place, God, for those who are Christians, you are present in our lives. Lord, you have a plan of redemption, Lord, and it's Jesus. Lord, for those who have accepted you, Lord, we're secure in that, but God, how are we living our life in the midst of the mess? Are we deep in our faith? Are we dependent on you? Or are we still trying to do it our way? When we know, God, that you're sovereign, you're in control of it all. Lord, draw us close today. Lord, if there's someone here who, for the very first time, needs to meet your son, Jesus. God, I pray it be this morning. Lord, if there's church members, Lord, who have strayed away, they know they're shallow, God, in their faith, God, let them come forward, Lord. Let them pray. Let them cry out to you. Lord, whatever they might need to do, God, I pray today would be the day. Lord, if there's someone here who's looking for that church home to be plugged in, to be active, to be involved in serving, a redemptive God. Lord, and they believe it's here at Dalreda. Lord, I pray they come together. Whatever decision, Lord, needs to be made, I just ask, Lord, that we would surrender to the love of a God who's not only present, who's given us the plan, but who is sovereign Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together for us? I'm a good taste.